How can it be the one who died has borne our sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing hallelujah. For joy awakes as dawning light when Christ's disciples lift their eyes. Alive he stands, their friend and king. Christ, Christ he is once had been they saw him and their hearts believed but blessed are those who have not seen yet sing hallelujah once bound by fear now bold in faith they preach the truth and power of grace and pouring out their lives they gain life Singing, blessing, and honor, and glory, 
There will come a day, standing face to face, in a moment we'll be like Him. He will wipe our eyes dry, take us up to His side, and forever. Father, we have come today to sing blessing and glory and honor and power to you. We declare that you are the great God. Our lives are in your hands and we worship you. We know that you're present with us. Awaken our minds and our hearts and our spirits to who you are and to what you desire to do in us and with us today, and we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We welcome all of you to worship this morning, especially welcome those of you who may be uh, guests here today, activities going on this weekend, uh, particularly at the college. We're glad to have you here. I want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here, perhaps introduce yourself to someone you don't know. There are some inserts in your bulletin that uh, you want to look at here um, in the, as you uh, are thinking about them in the service today. One of them is about the nursery. We uh, need volunteers to help out with the nursery May, uh, September through, uh, sorry, May through September. And uh, a lot of college students uh, work in the nursery, and of course, many of them are gone during those months. If you can help, greatly appreciated. The one caveat is this needs to be turned in by tomorrow morning. So you can put it in the offering plate if you are ready. Uh, Otherwise, you can drop it by the church office. Uh, You can send an email to the church and let us know that you're interested. But the schedule is going to be made tomorrow. So you want to get that in. Also, there's an insert about working with Children's Church as well. Uh, And you see the information about that. You can actually sign up in the back foyer this morning for a specific Sunday to work. And uh, these are both ways in which we minister to our children Children are important to us here. We love our children. We want to help them know God. And this is one of the ways in which we do that. And we appreciate your help in uh, communicating Christ's love to our children. And there's also an insert about the 30-hour famine the youth group is doing this coming weekend. And it's not too late to support them. You see information about doing that. Uh, We also, a week from tomorrow, we will have our annual prayer vigil for our graduates And we'll spend 36 hours beginning next Monday at 6 a.m., ending Tuesday at 6 p.m., 
praying for our college and high school graduates. In the prayer room, there will be a board listing all of their names there. You can pray for them. And uh, we want to encourage you to start signing up for, for time slots and hour time slots in the prayer room. And you see the information in the bulletin about that. You can get to that on the church website. And we'd love to fill up those hours praying for our graduates. We've also posted ballots around the church. There are also um, uh, uh, copies of the budget in the back. And this is a matter of our of prayer. We'll be uh, doing our elections on May 18th and our vision meeting uh, May, uh, at evening May 18th. And uh, we, would, uh, we want to be praying that God will direct us as we uh, work through these, these issues of leadership in the church. And uh, thank you for your prayers about that. I also, uh, I'm, you may have wondered at times... Uh, thought to yourself, boy, I'd love to hear a sermon about and something related to that. Well, you have the chance now. Uh, next fall, uh, we are going to be doing a series, and it will be incorporated into something we do as a whole church. But sermons in the fall will be based on questions that you ask, that you would like to know. So if you thought to yourself, I'd love to hear a sermon about something, then we want to hear your questions. We want to hear what that is. There are cards like this, different colors in the pew rack in front of you. Jot down your question. We're going to be taking those the next few weeks, and we'll compile them. I, I assume there'll be some themes that will emerge out of the various questions that we get. But we want your questions, and um, we want to because we want this to be about what you would like to hear. So over the next few weeks, you can drop these in the offering plate today. There's also a basket in the back there. You can drop it in after the service. Uh, the next week or so, you could also send an email to any of the pastoral staff, and uh, we'll get that on the list And as we compile your questions, and uh, we'll be going through those in the fall. And we appreciate your help with that. There are a number of inserts in the bulletin uh, related to things of us right here, as well as things around the world. And we're asking for God's grace in each situation. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. After this I looked up, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you What must take place after this? At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings 
and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, we'd like to invite our ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Sometime we have opened the altar rail for you to offer your prayers as we pray together. If you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we come to you in this moment of prayer because in this shaken world in which we live, we seek stability. In the world of so much noise, we crave inner peace. In a world that seems to thrive on fear, we want courage. In a world of rising and falling empires, we desire a vision of your eternal kingdom. So we come to you. Father, we pray for peace in the world. We ask that you will hold back the forces and systems of evil. And you would encourage every person who is working for justice, for good. We pray this for the leaders of the nations of the world, starting with this nation and the nations that we represent. We pray that you will give them wisdom and a desire, a passion for justice and courage to see it happen. Father, we pray for the church. We pray that you would especially watch over our brothers and sisters in places of persecution. We think about the the threats of persecution that are so high in Somalia. Protect your Christian people. Watch over them. Help them to know that you are with them. We pray that you would give them courage and strength for each day, and we pray that you would give them grace to witness your love. Lord, we pray for a breakthrough that through the witness of your people, others would come to know you and this nation would be transformed. Father, we pray for John and Carolyn Miller. Thank you for their, their long ministry of service in different places of the world. We pray that you will continue to bless them as they work with Scripture translation. 
Pour out your spirit of strength upon them and grace upon them. And we pray that they will continue to know your mercy in all that they do. Father, we pray for this church. We pray that, that you would heal our diseases. You would comfort our grieving souls. That you would make us known as people who forgive one another and who care for one another. And we pray that you would fill our minds with your truth and our hearts with your love and our souls with your spirit. That we would bear witness to each other and to others who you are. Father, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are able, please stand for the reading of Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp, and they were each holding a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you are slain. And with your blood you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped this is the word of the lord
Father, we are in awe of who you are. Just the mention of your name. We pray that you will continue to speak into our hearts as we continue in worship. Help us to be sensitive and open to your spirit. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Last Sunday was Easter, and it was an awesome day. It is always an awesome day to come together on Easter to celebrate the resurrection. And the church fathers realized early on that Easter is so pivotal to what it means to be a Christian that you can't limit it to one day. And so in the church calendar, the season of Easter is 50 days. It begins on Easter day, and it ends the day before Pentecost. Fifty days of focusing on the resurrection, focusing on the fact that Christ who was dead is now alive. And in fact, it's even bigger than that because the church said that every Sunday ought to be a mini Easter. Every Sunday we come together, it is a celebration that Christ who was dead is alive. Because the fact that Christ is alive gives meaning to the incarnation, it gives meaning to the crucifixion. It gives meaning to everything. And so today we continue in the celebration of the resurrection of Easter. And it's and in my mind, when I think about the resurrection, there are a variety of facets to the diamond that is the resurrection. But one of those is thinking about heaven. Of the resurrection and the promise of heaven. Now, people have lots of different opinions about heaven. And in fact, it seems to me that most people are interested in heaven. Even people of other faiths have ideas about what happens when you die. What happens to your soul? What, what is the next thing for us? And you get a variety of ideas depending on the faith perspective that you're talking about. But even among people who, are, who might be generally Christian, you get a variety of ideas. And we see this in, in, even in popular media. You know, when years ago there was a television show, Highway to Heaven. And I think probably the mod, more modern equivalent of that would have been Touched by an Angel. And, and we have uh, Mitch Albom's book and movie, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Right now, Heaven is for Real is in the theaters. And people are going to see this about the, actually a Wesleyan pastor and his little boy who had this, uh, this near-death experience and saw things in heaven. And we're fascinated by that. But people, and people, some people are fascinated by heaven because they want to deny it. Some people are fascinated by heaven because they have their own view of it. Sometimes I think the most popular view of heaven is, is, is the first line of Dorothy's song in The Wizard of Oz. You know, somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. 
There's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. I, I think that sort of in, sort of visualizes for us the sort of the the secular mindset of heaven. It's this obscure place, and and we wish, we hope, we have this dream that maybe it will be as good as people tell us it is, but we don't really know. And that's what makes John's revelation so fascinating and so intriguing. Now, we started a, a few months ago talking about doors in the Bible. And uh, some of you may have been here, some of you may not have been, but we talked about some of the doors that we see in the Bible, beginning with the door of, of Cain and how Scripture says that sin was lurking at his door, the door of his heart, way back in Genesis. And there's a door, Jesus talks about the narrow door that leads to life. And, and Paul talks about the door of opportunity that God had given to him about ministry. And just as doors are at the beginning of Genesis, we see another door at the end in Revelation. In the beginning of Revelation, John says he was in the spirit, worshiping. He'd been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He is in prayer and, and thinking about Christ. And the spirit comes to him and he has this vision. And the Spirit says, write it down. And he writes down what we call Revelation. And the beginning of that is, is an introductory, first chapter, introductory words from Jesus himself. And then chapters 2 and 3 are letters to seven churches and, and things that they need to hear. And then as chapter 4 begins, John says, after this, I looked and I saw an open door to heaven. And when John looks through that door, what he sees is, is pretty incredible. It, all I can think of as you read this through this, and not just the passage we read, but the whole thing, it's like he's trying to describe the indescribable. Isn't it interesting when you read through this how many times John says, I looked and I saw something and it looked like... It, it, it looked like, I mean, even the four animals, you know, one of them, it looked like an ox. One of them had the face that sort of looked like a man. It looked like, and, and he repeats that over and over again. What the, how does a first century man describe things that are common to our lives? I mean, even little things like phones, televisions, cars, jets, tanks. How, how would John be able to put that into words other than it kind of looked like this thing that we all know, but I don't know how to describe it exactly. And for that reason, we tend to look at Revelation and say, this thing is just way beyond me. There's nothing I can get here. Let's not mess with it because the, the descriptions are hard to understand. And quite frankly, people read Revelation and they go all over the place with it. People will take the symbolism and basically will say it don't mean anything. And you've got theories that are way out there for some people. But what strikes me as I, as I read, especially this, the fourth and fifth chapter of Revelation, is that there's so much we don't know, so much we can't explain. But what we do know, what we can explain, what we see so clearly is that in the middle of John's revelation is this explosion of worship. Worship. 
There's lots we can't describe, lots we don't understand, but one thing we can describe, one thing we do understand is that heaven is about worship. He talks about how there is this throne, and there are 46 times the word throne is mentioned in John's Revelation. And here in chapter 4, this throne, and seated on it is God Almighty. And there are There are all kinds of precious jewels. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's rainbows of color, all of this stuff, but it's all about the throne. And what is happening at the throne? The elders, the people that John looks at and says, those are God's great people. Those are the great people of faith that we have followed and inspired us. These are people at the top of the ladder of the kingdom of God. They've got 24 of these elders all around the throne. And what are they doing? They're not sitting back saying to the rest of the people, all right, come and I'll I'll explain things to you. They are on the floor in worship. The crowns that are on their heads, wherever those have come from and whatever they represent, whatever they've gained are off their heads and at the foot of the throne. It's all about worshiping God. And if you want to put heaven into one word, it is worship. Worship. And it's not just God the Father. The Spirit is the one who reveals all of this to John. And then he says, and I saw in the hand of God a scroll. And the scroll, people have different theories about it, but I think the majority theory, and this seems to be my opinion, is the scroll represents all of, the, of all of God's eternal plans, all of his purposes for all that he's created in the scroll, coming to its fulfillment, its completion. And opening the scroll means everything God has designed, all of his purposes for human beings and for his creation and for everything that exists. When, those, when that scroll is open, when the seals are taken off of it, all of it will happen. The fulfillment of all of the dreams and plans of God will take place when that scroll is opened. And it will mean judgment and it will mean promise. It will mean death and it will mean life. But for the people of God, it will mean every positive thing we can ever imagine about what God has promised us. It will mean justice finally comes to the earth. It will mean salvation in all of its fullness comes to the earth. In that, when that scroll is opened... People who know God will understand in a way we've never understood before the love that God has for us, the grace that God has for us. Right now, our damaged receptors because of sin keep us from truly understanding the fullness of God's love for us and his grace for us and his mercy for us. We question it. We worry about it. When that scroll is open and everything is revealed, we'll see it like never before. And for God's people, it will be awesome. And the scroll is in the hand of God. And John hears someone saying, who can open the scroll? And he begins to weep because no one can open the scroll. The plans of God, the fulfillment of all that God has planned is left hanging there, unfulfilled, unfulfilled. 
And John begins to weep. He's overcome with emotion. But God, it's got to happen. You, you, you promised it. And one of the elders comes to him and says, hold on. Hold on, just wait. There is one worthy to open the scroll. There is one worthy to take off, to break the seals. The lion, the tribe of Judah. And John turns and he sees walking toward him, not a lion, but a lamb. And he says, it was, the, it was as though a lamb that was slain. It's Christ. And Christ takes the scroll and he breaks the seals and everything begins to happen. And what is the response of heaven? Worship. Worship. Worshiping Christ because he has made it happen. He has brought what we want to reality. He has brought what God has planned into existence in its fullness. And the most natural response is worship. Worship from people on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, under the sea, in heaven. Every being worshiping Christ. Who went to the cross for our sins. And rose from the dead in newness of life so that we might be forgiven and live. And his salvation is offered to the whole world. And it's not through a lion. Even though Jesus, as the lion of Judah, has every right to devour his enemies. Instead, comes as a lamb who allows his enemies to devour him. It's not through Christ who has every right to grasp his authority and power as God, but instead surrenders himself and takes on human flesh and goes to the cross so that the seals might be broken. This is the one we worship. All of heaven, all of creation worships. That's really what this table is about. This, this table is about worship. We come to this table remembering what Christ has done for us, but also being reminded of what Christ has promised us. It is not just a looking back to the cross. It is a looking forward to the fulfillment of all that God has planned, all that God has designed, all that God has promised. And we come to this table as people who are, who are promised more than we could dream or imagine. Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has planned for those who love him. It is beyond us. We look through this door like John does and there's so much we don't get. So much we don't understand. But the one thing we know is that heaven is more, it's better, it's greater than we could ever dream or imagine. Lewis says, it's like the difference between a pencil drawing on a page and that pencil drawing coming to life in reality. And that's what God has promised us. And we worship. Now, we sometimes think about worship and say, well, why do we need to worship? Why does God, why does God want us to worship? Is God so insecure that, that he has this need that only we can fill? 
Is God the kind of being that, that we just have to keep stroking his ego because you know, he needs that? No, that's us. That's you and me. That's describing us. God is completely self-sufficient in himself. God doesn't need anything from us. The point of worship is not that we are giving God something he needs. The point of worship is that we are doing something that we need. Worship is about giving all of ourselves to something. If we worship money, we will do anything to get money. And, and, and if we worship money, it, it, it pervades all of our thoughts. It pervades our dreams. It pervades our conversations. It pervades every decision we make. It, it just it totally absorbs us. If we worship God... He takes up our minds, our thoughts. He pervades every moment of our lives. He pervades our, he pervades our, our dreams. He, he pervades our plans, our desires. He pervades our relationships, our conversations, our decisions. He pervades everything about us. That's what it means to worship. And when we come before God in worship like that... We are, now, we are now opening ourselves up to receive the amazing love of God in Christ. We've surrendered ourselves to him. We've opened our lives to him. And when we do that, then we can truly be embraced by his love and his grace and his goodness. If we refuse to worship, then our lives are all about us. Our lives are about closing ourselves off from God. We believe that we can get what we want on our own. And no wonder we live in despair. Worship enables us to say, God, I am nothing without you. Everything I need is about you. And the Spirit comes and tells us again and again and again, you are my beloved children. I want relationship with you. I care about every bit of you, every moment of your life. And I want to transform you into the person I created you to be. And we will never know that outside of worship. It is fascinating to me that when we think of heaven, we tend to think of it as individuals. We think of heaven as me in heaven. You in heaven. Because that's the way we tend to live now. You know, we we tend to live now, even in the church, with this mindset of it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I like. It's about, you know, what are you doing for me? And we're so absorbed in our culture with that that we don't even realize we're doing it most of the time. And we, and we, we cross that line over into the church and, and into the way we think about heaven. It's about me. Which fascinates me because John's picture in heaven is not about, it's not me, it's us. It's we. See, our motto now, unfortunately, the church's motto through the centuries has often been divide and conquer. That's how we get things done. When we look at heaven, John says here in chapter 5, 
He talks about how Christ came and he, and he, he, he died for the sins of every tribe and people and nation and tongue. And you get to chapter 7 and John says, I looked and there before me were people from every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Now we tend to look, think, look at heaven. We think everyone is going to look the same. And the image we have is they're going to look like us. Whatever our image of ourselves is, that's how we view everybody in heaven. We're all going to be the same. We're going to look like us. John says, oh, no, no. There's going to be diversity in heaven. I mean, how else would he be able to look at people and know their race, their nationality, their language? He can distinguish them as he looks at heaven. And it seems to me that if God creates us Now, with so much diversity, surely he's not going to end that when we get to heaven. The difference is, now our diversity tends to divide us. In heaven, it will unify us. Now our diversity is focused on us, trying to get ahead, trying to convince people we know more than they do. We're better than they are. We've got more in the ball than they do. In heaven, it will be joining forces coming together, united in one purpose, worshiping Christ. It's the difference between a solo and a choir. I mean, solos are great. But what our ears long for is the harmony of a choir. And you can't have the harmony of a choir if everyone's singing the same note. Harmony only exists when people are singing different notes. Notes that by themselves sometimes don't make that much sense. But put together are beautiful and inspiring. It's like a mosaic. You take one piece and it's just a piece. You put it into the the whole picture and it becomes this beautiful image of something inspiring. And heaven is a mosaic of all of our diversity, all of our differences that God brings together. And it happens because we all have one purpose, one goal, one desire, one passion, and that is to worship Christ. And here's the reality. If our eternal existence is about worshiping Christ, then our earthly existence should be worshiping Christ. Because when you boil it down, what would make us think that we're going to do something in heaven that we don't want to do on earth? What would make us think that we'll have this passion in heaven about something we have no passion about on earth? That's the whole premise of of Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. These people who, who are brought from hell to heaven and are able to look over the place and even invited to stay... Don't want to stay. They don't want to stay in heaven. They'd rather go back to hell because hell has everything they want and heaven has nothing they want. Because their passion, their desire, their yearning, the focus of their attention and their life is about self. And the passion and the focus and the yearning of heaven is about Christ. And what we're doing now is in many ways a rehearsal, a preparation for what, it, what heaven will be for all eternity. And if we want to prepare for heaven, 
and we design our lives around worshiping Christ. Our existence, our relationships, everything about who we are is focused on worshiping Christ. And what we will find when our passion is worshiping Christ is that we continue to experience on earth little bits of heaven. More and more of what God has prepared for us then seeps into our lives now. Because our focus is on Him who is central to heaven. So as we come to this table today, here is invitation to worship. To come with our hearts open to Him, with a, heart, with a passion for Him, with a desire for Him. And it's a journey for all of us. But my question for us is, what's the desire of our hearts? Even if we don't reach it, even if we're struggling to get there, what's the passion? What's the yearning? What's the desire of your heart and my heart? Is it me? Is it you? Or is it Christ? Father, we thank you for this image, this glimpse we get of what you've promised for us. We pray, Father, that you will help us to to renew our passion for you. Whatever may be in the way, whatever has become the focus of our desires and dreams, we pray that you will, in your spirit, give us grace to turn back to you and to find in you love and life, your spirit. Father, we thank you for these gifts that we have to partake of this morning. We pray your blessing, your anointing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, I pray that we will know the power of your Holy Spirit upon us. That we will be filled anew with your grace. That it will be food for our souls. That we will know the mysterious power of the crucified, risen, reigning and returning Christ that we will be united in one body in him. In his grace, we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. And he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, 
do it in remembrance of me. This morning we are receiving communion by the mode of intinction. It just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we do have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. We also have gluten-free wafers and cups here as well. And if, if that is something that would help you, just let me know as you come forward and I will serve you. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ with a desire and a passion to worship Christ, to know Christ, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.